I was thinking about our relation also with the animals, the trees, and how maybe that interconnection has been disrupted. But that is, of course, another story. So to come into more practical experience, I would say that there is a whole journey to be traveled between tolerance, because tolerance means that issues are not really dealt with. You know, you're just tolerating another person. Throughout history, the great questions have been asked, and great research has been undertaken, always expanding the territory of the known by shining a light into the unknown. Where is that cutting edge today? And can a community of people from all over the world, each carrying their own unique journey of discovery, come together to inquire at the edge of purposeful evolution through conversation? At Portals of Perception, we think it is possible, and we hope that you will choose to be a part of this exploration. You are about to enter one of the most nonlinear conversational experiences you've ever entered. In this, we are seeking to discover that intangible property and nature of human life that is the naturally arising capacity to weave part to part and unlock new possibilities. And you will find, as you stay with us through this conversation, that we go to all sorts of places, the past, the distant past, and the future, the interior human realm, the brain, and the mind, and the exterior of the world at large. Join Aviv Shahar and a global group of weavers as they bring together the hidden threads and themes behind new possibilities emerging across all aspects of human experience. In The Human as a Weaver of Part to Part. Join us now for part two. I was thinking just before about uh, self-diagnostics, and I bring it up as an example of what happened between ourselves in the last 40 minutes. So one of the things that I love to do is listen, listen to humans. Part of my ear is not working very good, so I don't hear the music very properly, but I can listen to humans. And I've, I've tried it and I love it. So whilst everyone was speaking before, so Alan was speaking and my mind went to entangled photons, entangled photons. Then, uh, Robin spoke and my mind went to when I was in Hyde Park in 95 with my parents. Then Kiriaki spoke and I remembered the Paphos uh, place uh, where we've been in seminar with the people. Then Dina spoke and I remembered, uh, okay, when my niece was six months old, she was already showing her father the guitar. Now, why I bring it up, I caught the trail of my thinking already having disconnected from actually listening to what was coming and only just going into something that it triggered in my head. But this is not listening, really. It's just taking one item of a thread of the whole uh, fabric and going along that maybe feeling or memory and then another one and actually losing everything else, more or less. So I'm just bringing it up in a kind of open way because that's how we might be already stopping our capability, our capacity to produce new, to be 
authoring new chapters because we go into the into something that was there it, rather than being in the now being in the moment with what is presented what is being as much as i would want to listen you know it's already there kind of circuits so it seems that it calls for um, a bravery to begin with in a way of being able to name it to identify it what elizabeth was saying this is a deficiency whatever to do a term but the lady calls it in herself that and then take it from there to actually because part of the proposition is the synthesis you know the weaving the synthesis of taking what is now here and put it together in a way that wasn't before and that can be original or it can be a repetition of more of the same and i was reading yesterday this poem from amanda gore goldman you know from the capitol hill so inspiring because here is a young lady telling us showing us presenting to us this last phrase which says there is always light if we are brave enough to see it if we are brave enough to be it so I keep asking myself what is this bravery i mean it can be i'm trying to you know think openly together how to be in the now how to be in the possibility that presents itself that some new civilization could occur because we talk about civilization but is it the end of civilization or is it the birth of a new one as in relation to the crucial times that we're living or interesting times or exciting times that we're living yes in your opening there theodora you are offering a radical idea the radical idea you're offering is that listening the listening act itself the capacity to listen with presence to create a space to inside the listening act skate to the edge of the conversation like riding a wave you're not where you were a few seconds ago but you are right there with the wave of the conversation that that listening capacity by itself is a weaving a weaving with the here and now of whatever process you're in as it emerges this is so very very interesting because the what what Theodorus just introduced was how Dina described the process of adoption of a concept or a construct in the mind and how Elizabeth illustrated that from a person and their own ability to create for themselves a context of understanding of self it causes me to then think well there is an interconnectedness that exists between people and i'm often wondering as i meet with people because i meet with a lot of different people from various walks of life and i have you know i have students in other countries because you know we have this pandemic they can't come to see me face to face right and i guess to really preface this is one of the things that i strongly encourage is to always be asking questions and not hard questions simple questions right if questions become complicated and hard it's because we don't understand the problem and the prefacing there is because one of the things that i've kind of learned is that you can't put into somebody's head a thought you can't put into a person's head an experience 
or knowledge. What you can do is you can create the opportunity for them to construct for themselves a reality. And a reality is born, as Theodorus has just said, it's born of their own experiences, their histories. As Dana said, there is a process that you can help them to find that process in themselves in which to understand their context, to create a new mind construction for themselves. And as Elizabeth Elizabeth has said, they often don't know they're doing it at the point because our consciousness is not very good at being reflective upon itself. And so we need our historical context to see what we thought, what we found, what we created in our mind as perception. And so in asking questions of ourselves and asking questions about things that we see before us and maybe the things that we don't understand, we create openings in ourselves to reflect, to construct, to create, and to perceive. And in that perception that allows us to be, then be able to find new ways and opportunities for different kinds of realities that we never thought that we might be able to inhabit. And then we can express those to other people. And we can do that through words, we can do that through art, we can do that through music, and or we can just do that by being ourselves, because it seems that for us, and I know that for my own life, you know, one of the most difficult things that I've always faced is, you know, who am I in the context of all of this? You know, where in all of this am I? And not that it really matters much because there's so much else to be done. But it's just one of those recurring questions that seems to keep coming up. One of the expressions of this mystery that you you landed us with, Alan, is when you framed who am I and where is the I and what is the I inside this process, that as you were describing it, I was getting the sense increasingly of how you know when you blow air into a balloon and it expands, and as it grows, you know, this, the idea is as it grows and to represents the space of knowledge that you have, it grows its interface with greater and greater unknown. And as you were describing this idea of the process of constructing reality, constructing the map of meaning that we all do, we navigate the world with some map of meaning. There is no person that is not navigating the world with a map of meaning, There are people that navigate with more effective maps of meaning. There are people that navigate with less effective maps of meaning. But ultimately, the map of meaning that we construct, as you are describing, is an ongoing process of internalization and assimilation, of weaving part to part. And the unique element about us adults, we no longer enjoy the 100% brain plasticity where we completely... 3D in our brain, everything that happens around us, as is the case of toddlers, what we actually do is we weave, as we do in this conversation, the layer upon layer, and the new perspective and the new perception is constructed in real time inside the context of the topography of meaning, of the totality of our experiences, up to that point. And so you rightly, intriguingly, (laughs) you're asking us, who is the I? Where is the I in this process? And I don't know what the answer to this question is. What I am sensing into 
is that this specific inquiry we are pursuing here today, if you for a minute look at the chemical world, okay, on one end of the continuum, there are various chemical components that you will put together and they convert fluid into something solid and, and rigid and fixed. That's how they produce fiberglass. Then on the other end, you'll take different kind of chemical components and you'll put them together and you'll mix them up and they will create an explosion. And so we have that continuum. On one end, something becomes fixed. On the other end, something becomes explosive. What I am seeing through everything you're all offering, we humans, we have the capacity to offer agency, to offer facility for the weaving of part to part, whether it's poetry, Robin put together in few words, just a huge arc of history, whether it's in teaching the piano, we go through these experiences and somehow through these experiences, we are able to absolve ourselves or to step back or not be caught up by the rigid fixed part or by the explosive part. Because when we do, as sometimes we do catch ourselves up in the, in the fixed part and then we are no longer useful for anything. And if we get to explode in one moment or another, we can do some corrective act in the moment as in the story of Elizabeth. But mostly we, are, we develop as adults the capacity to be in some other third space or neutral space, not be caught up by these two ends. So please, whoever wants to come forward, I'm interested that we bring even more of the practices or the disciplines or the inner protocols that you cultivate in yourself to be effective, whether it is when you work with a student, whether it is with yourself, whether it is when you are in any other circumstance. What is it that you do to be a, an effective facility or facilitator or connector to help others? Yeah, well, before going to the practical applications, because I was inspired by what uh, Alan said and uh, Theodora and Elizabeth, I was wondering whether there is actually, as there is inside our brain or our mind, this web of interconnected experiences, things that we learned, images, words. I was wondering whether there is also around us such a web, because it's interesting that a lot of inventions have been invented simultaneously in different places. Or they say that if now we left someone in an island, it will take, that didn't know about the wheel, it wouldn't take long until they would discover the wheel. So it's like that there is a web of consciousness, maybe, or of, you can say, the collective knowledge, or the depository of the collective human experience, that maybe we connect, we can connect with that, just as wondering whether that is the case. And then I was thinking, if there is such a thing, is it only planetary or does it stretch us maybe out of the planet? Who knows? And what interconnects the human also with other, with the animals? And it is interesting, you know, there is this story, we don't know if it's accurate, there is many, with uh, Chief Seattle in uh, 1854, that the governor of Washington asked him to sell the land. And, uh, well, basically he said, I don't understand what you're talking about. You know, how can I sell my mother? Or the river is my sister. 
and a buffalo is my brother. And if all uh, the animals were to die, then human would be would die from loneliness of spirit. And the murmur of the river is the voice of my father's father. And he could not understand, as he could not understand also the fact that, you know, we own the land, we own nature, because they had a different, I mean, the more developed person was not the one who acquired the most things, was actually the person who was offering the most things. And it was the whole idea of the gift economy. So I was thinking about our relation also with the animals, the trees, and how maybe that interconnection has been disrupted. But that is, of course, another story. So to come into more practical experience, I would say that there is a whole journey to be traveled between tolerance, because tolerance means that issues are not really dealt with. You know, you're just tolerating another person. To going to really active coexistence, which means that you're starting to dealing with issues that cause a probable conflict, conflict or disruption. And then from that, to go to peace and sustaining peace and flow. And uh, yeah, how do we do that? How do we really embrace diversity? How do we instill in the institutions the social maybe awareness of diversity, of the rights of the minorities, and how to travel that journey between, because, you know, intolerance, sooner or later, it will explode again. So, you know, nowadays we have all this hated, hate speech, hatred, violence in the streets that really interrupt the humanity and the flow and the coexistence that can be so rich, actually, and so cross-pollinating. And, uh, yeah, I'm wondering about how to travel this journey. And it starts, you know, in our homes. Do we tolerate each other in the classes? Do we just tolerate? Or do we learn to embrace the really the other and the difference of the other? I've just written a little poem about our process right now. So it goes like this. How can we weave a tapestry of something rare and fine where humans can find in themselves a new art for these times? Each life is unique and is given a chance. Pieces of a puzzle, a task to enhance. Backwards or forwards, a matter of time. Will it be coarse or will it be fine? We've never been in this time before. Will these weaves open the door? What will the art of the future be? What new arts and crafts will we see? Will they come from the past of history or leave us into a great mystery? Can it be found in the clouds in the sky, or perhaps as gentle as the wings on a fly. This is a non-linear thought, but I want to say that was a beautiful poem, moving yes. and fun. When I think about the things that make people stuck or explode, they can be the same. One thing will make will freeze a person, the other thing will cause a fire. I remember once I had a group of children together. We were going to have a a jam kind of session. We went to a professional studio. It was like our big, it was an event. We're having a jam in the professional studio. And everyone that was invited was a good player, except there was one boy who didn't play as well as the other boys. And when he, he was on the grand piano, 
the big Steinway. <laughs> and I could feel that something was rising up in the other boys that I will call mockery. And I remember it happened faster than I am intelligent. I tell you, something in me imagined taking everyone home and returning them to their parents. <laughs> and after imagining it that quick, I said, the only thing that will not be tolerated in here is making fun of your friends. And it never happened again, ever. And it's amazing how it was almost, I can't explain how fast it was. It had nothing to do with me being smart. <laughs> It just rose, and I could see that they also saw them being returned to their parents. <laughs> and also that they didn't want to make fun of their friends, really. Nor did they want to be made fun of, because this causes people to freeze. So there's a mystery element of, of I don't know what to call it. It's more than saying no to things, but there are some things that should not be tolerated, even though we were talking about tolerance. Because it makes people weaker, and we mm. want to make people stronger. So no mockery. That will help people stay fluid. And then many musicians want to be perfect. And there must be some difference between being excellent and being perfect. So I'm not speaking to things that I've totally worked out yet. <laughs> but there must be... Being excellent is weaving things together. Finding your best. Finding your best. Being perfect is something that makes you freeze and brittle on the inside. Stiff, hard, and frightened. When I see the children wanting to be perfect, or getting tight inside, I do remind them that it's called playing, and that it's not everything is an exam. Sometimes you, you can spend time with things, you know, be with things, and it's not an exam. There will be no grades, no marks. It's for you. I love what Dina just was saying, and I realized it was starting to bubble and brew in me, something that as Dina was talking, I realized was the absolute necessity and essentialness, making space and taking time, you know, it's... I mean, everybody's talking about mindfulness right now, so it's not, and, you know, pausing. And so there, that's part of it. But for me, and in, in the various parts of my work and life and play, that pause or the ability to make space for me has to do with always knowing deeply, deeply, deeply in me that there is a bigger picture and that if there's conflict or if there's lack of tolerance or if there's unfairness or mockery it means that the picture is gone small mm -hmm. and that if a per anybody in the room it could be the person facilitating you know in the position of facilitator could be somebody else but if there's somebody who suddenly recognizes that and grows the space bigger and the picture bigger then those seeming opposites become adjacencies and can live together in a different way that allows new thought, new knowledge, new sense, new feeling, new heart, you know, to come into the picture. And I have to 
remind myself all the time in both in teaching and in counseling work, it's that it's not think it's remembering you don't know <laughs> the direction that something should take for another person, but you can hold space and you can encourage that for a moment and you can show that you're so interested that you're also in the mystery of it and that you are willing to stay there in the mystery of it until something appears. And it's not going to come from you or from them necessarily directly. So I just wanted to try to give voice to that. Oh, the other thing was that I just remembered, and this goes back to Alan at the very beginning talking about, you know, the rational stuff that we do and everything. And I had been reading a book on indigenous therapeutic practices. And one thing that the healers of the tribe always just, I ran across this, I read it over and over because it doesn't say much. He just said, expression is healing, period. And I was sort of waiting for the rest of the sentence in a way, expression of what? But, you know, it was expression is healing. So somehow we have to make space for expression. And this is what we're doing. I mean, Aviva's, you know, engineered this beautifully for this kind of thing to go on here. So. In England, there's a, a, a man called John Lennon. I'm sure you've heard of him. He wrote a fantastic song called Imagine. And it was his kind of take on a different world. But, you know, we're talking about art and weaving. And maybe a couple of months ago, in, in where close to where I live, there was a, a young lady who was um, attacked on her way home as she walked home. And that really, really affected me. You know, you know, I just, you know, I couldn't believe that that could happen. And I so didn't want it to happen anymore. I was caused to um, put different champion equality of the day. You know, I champion the hope or I champion patience or, and I put the quality that I was going to champion in the window so that when the people walked by, they could see hope or patience or kindness, whatever, because I wanted my street to be clean. I wanted people to walk past safely with no harm. And that is an art. That is, I mean, I want that badly in my, in, for humans. And, you know, we've talked about great music and great things that have filled our lives from the past, but a future where things like, you know, what you're talking about, ladies, you talk with, you know, where bullying cannot ever happen, you know, where it just can't happen, you know, where cruelty doesn't happen, where, you know, I want a world like that. So that's my image. I'm with John Lennon, you know, in that passion for a better tomorrow. You know, because that's a new kind of art. That's something to work for, isn't it? Something to stand in defiance of all that's gone before. And we mustn't let, you know, us humans, especially you ladies, you know, it breaks my mark. It just ripped me up that did that story. I get emotional thinking about it. You know, it's just, it just can't be happening. We've got to do something about this, folks. It's precious. Yeah, so what is uh, emerging in these last uh, few contributions, both from uh, what uh, Elizabeth offered and, and now Robin, who probably needed to grab some water. <laughs> you get the feeling because Kiriaki was talking before about is there a web around us, like we have a web in our brain. And, and you get the feeling when Elizabeth was describing how you felt in Dino's description of the pause and how you are making that pause in yourself, that the pause you are describing, the space making you are describing, this, these are not empty pauses. These are not empty spaces. These are spaces filled with something, a, a presence of sort that in the case that Robin is, is describing, the, 
the presence of the quality you want to broadcast to your street from the window that is not just the word on your window, but the intentionality and the, the field of intent that you create around your house. In essence, what we are sensing here, we all have the capacity to create in the space around us through intention, through sentiment, the invitation, the, the energy, the, the presence, inside of which humans may be easier to weave the regenerative parts, the growing, refining, improving, getting better, evolving parts, rather than the parts that are less desirable. Because one thing that's clearly emerging, the property of being able to bridge with part to part, integrate, merge, in itself has no bias. Okay, Humans can use that capacity to do destructive things and or to build and construct positive futures. And what we are sensing into is how can this capacity, how can we become more intelligent about this capacity and how can it be invited into the, the better evolving angels of our nature that propel us to who we are desiring to become. I want to invite one more final round. If, if anybody else wants to contribute, we're just merely touching this huge ocean of, of inquiry about this human capacity. I'm interested if anybody else wants to put forward anything by way of practice, anything you do to encourage the recognition that the human can connect possibilities in yourself and or in others and the people you work with, please. Yeah, well, one thing, uh, it's very interesting to always bring it from the greater picture to ourselves because it gives the validity of what we are, not who we are. I dare say that if someone is going to be very special in this world, it would have shown when they were young. And I'm saying it because I don't mind being an average person. I don't mind being an average housewife, an average cook, an average listener, an average singer. I do mind to be in the right circumstance with other people who carry clean things, who carry things that I can trust, things that can because Robin was saying before about no harm, if we don't feel as ladies and as men that we can trust each other, you know, the basic level of respect, of dignity, basic human levels, then what can we exchange? So I was bringing up this aspect of to not mind, to not mind maybe what imaginary expectations my mother would have of me, or my father, they're still alive. There's maybe still time to do it. <laughs> Their dream, whatever. But to, to settle to certain collective attempts. Because I was thinking that not uh, many days ago, and today I was talking with some ladies in England about the time of the Renaissance, you know, the arts, that influences came together from the East and the West, and there was the support, there was the Medici and the palaces that allowed all this to happen and to have a burst. The Leonardos and the beautiful and the Botticellis and the languages. So maybe now is a similar time. This 21st century is a similar time that maybe influences are coming from the East and the West and the North and the South and in and out and up and down from the laymen and the scholars, from the average and the other average 
But maybe these influences can now create something that is new, today, new. I mean, the next opening of civilization. And trust is, a, is an issue in it, is an ingredient. So I'm only bringing it into a conversation because these are huge areas that can lead us into calling more questions and inquiries into it. Makes a very good segue, thank you. That for many years, what we and our family have sought to do is to provide opportunities for improvement. That's what we practically do. We do this for ourselves, we do this for our companions and friends, we do this for our family. As an example, genetically, you know, I'm related to the indigenous race in New Zealand, the Māori, and so for many years I accepted the role of chairman of our marae, which is a it's a community hub in a sense, but it's more than that. It's a we use the word here called Tūranga Waiwai, which means the place to stand. It's the point of connection in the world. It's the place from which you connect your blood ties through genealogy, your emotional ties through family, through friend, through spiritual ties to the place in the land and the place of arising of the human form and the cosmology of Māori. So Amarai is, is, is much more than just a place. It's, it's the coming together of many, many things. And so within that there's trust, within that there's faith, there's belief, and there's all these other th- aspects of it. But also it becomes the collective consciousness of a people within a community. And because of the way of the world, because of the way of the 19th and 20th and now the 21st centuries, there are many people who underserved, shall we say. And so they live in states of poverty and they live in states of unwellness. So I spent 10 years working with people on Almorai, seeking to provide better opportunity for those people at all the different levels, from the physical getting clean drinking water, having buildings that don't leak, having buildings that are warm, through to the spiritual level of ensuring that, for example, that their urupa, which is the Māori word for a cemetery, and again, it's more than just a place to bury dead people. It's where the family live when they've passed their living time. It was to ensure that that was not lost when there were efforts by other people to take it over. And so in that pause, yeah, that pregnant pause that can offer birth, we don't know what to, but we allow it to happen. We create the opportunity not to construct some expected outcome, but to allow people to make it what they want it, that they own it, that they engage the wave that increasingly is emerging in the last uh, few contributions is the realization, the recognition that we humans, we can choose to weave part to part based on our values, based on what we care for and care about, based on what we hold precious and, and perhaps even sacred. Because you're rich describing how you are in your lives, with your families, with your students, with people you work, with communities you choose to support. 
by facilitating or by leading or in any other way through the expressions that are on point a gateway to what you hold dear, what you hold important. And uh, this entire exploration is in the portal we call Becoming Human. We are discovering increasingly how by sensing into our capacity to connect, to bridge, to integrate, and now as we're listening to what is being spoken, that that is a way for us to express what we hold dear and, and precious, that, that it informs us about the idea of becoming human. I, I want to see if there is anybody else still wanting to contribute anything else in practices, and if not, I'll share uh, one experience from this week uh, where I applied a certain practice. But yes, Kiriaki, please. Yeah, I want. I was amazed by what you said, Alan. Wow, that's great contribution, generosity from you, and actually providing active service in coexistence and in building really an ecology where yeah, mutuality can happen. And, you know, just thinking about it, just even if one person, if one life is touched, that would have been worth it. And the way you were speaking about it, and of course you do it also, I was thinking that maybe if there is this network, let's say I'm seeing a network that interconnects us all and everything, maybe these actions that the extra and they are they carry this magic because you do something because of the love of it and not because you're going to gain something, then maybe there are these unseen pockets or unseen accounts that you debit care and love and, you know, maybe then someone who is in need can withdraw from this pocket. And another practice that I wanted to say is that... um, when uh, something bothers me, I try to see it as a teacher. So let's say, once they put us together, when I was working uh, in a bank, they put us together with another lady, and she was my manager. I was the sub-manager at the time. And uh, she had completely different frequency than me. She was really aggressive, to the point, very sharp. And I was more thorough, analytical. And in the beginning, we said, oh, God, they put us together. (laughs) You know, terrible mistake. (laughs) So we're looking at each other with mistrust. Anyway, then I said, okay, maybe I have to learn something from this baby. And uh, maybe she's a teacher for me. And uh, yeah, finally, we became a duet that we start to sell like crazy. (laughs) They couldn't split us apart. (laughs) She taught me how to be assertive, how to be when there needs to be, to be aggressive. I taught her maybe to be more soft, to melt, and to hold her temper. And we're still very good friends. And she's one of the few people that will tell me in my face, you know, very straight, whatever she, she wants. And I'm one of the few people that I will support her in times of difficulty. And yeah, I thought she was, she's a teacher in my life, this lady, although we, we, we are very different and we had something to teach each other. And then I was thinking also about these bondage ceremonies that you said, Alan, of these indigenous tribes and maybe also the ceremony of the smoking of the pipe that they had in, in the indigenous tribes, in, uh, in uh, the American indigenous tribes. 
And, uh, you know, what are the ceremonies that we do in our communities or even in our family? Like, for instance, in my family, we have kitchen debates. So when we have this kitchen debate, something happens for with our mind. And always our daughters, they nail us to the wall. They are much, much, much better than us by far. <laughs> so, oh, we have these parties again in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, that bond us. Yeah. Yeah, and what we, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Both for the story with the aggressive manager and for the kitchen debate with your two teenage girls. Impressive that they win the debate time after time. I don't know if they win the debate, but they hold you accountable to, to be true, to be honest. Well, we only touched, I feel, the beginning of this exploration. The, this today is one of the, the most nonlinear conversations we've, we've had because by design, by very nature... It searches to uh, touch a, an invisible, intangible nature and property, which is our capacity to connect the dots, to, to make weaves that, that uh, we've not seen before. And, and um, it occurs to me that the other side of the recognition that what you, each one of us, each person engaging with this idea, what you can weave is uniquely is as unique as the fingerprint that you have, which is unlike any other fingerprint. So if you follow that line of thought, what it means is that the music that, uh, if I go into Dina's world, the music that you can play is a weave of music that perhaps can only come through you, that will not otherwise appear. And perhaps that is part of the encouragement that we are seeking to bring in this conversation to others. I was this week, just this week, with uh, in this virtual space with 85 executives and uh, leaders from the leading Silicon Valley company working on some of the technologies that perhaps Alan is researching or perhaps he's offering some standard definition for. And part of the exercise was I was called to help them unlock the future of their, their organization. These are very experienced engineers, PhDs, people who are probably the best in the world in what they do, and they, are, they have know-how in space that, that I could never wrap my mind around. But I'm there essentially to do this, to be a facilitator, to help them unlock their collective brilliance. And one of the challenges was, how do you actually get to facilitate 85 people? Each person can easily take the, the speaker, the microphone, and, and talk for an hour. How do you do that? How do you facilitate something that will produce an outcome that's greater than the sum of the individual parts? And this is part of the work that I do. Often we do this with groups of 8 or 10 or 12 or 14 people. We now had 85 in the room. And some of the practices involved shape-shifting the format. And three days in a course of uh, six hours a day, we would change four or five or six times the format. And every time they needed to work on a different question. And as they did, they needed to produce quick, rapid results on a digitized board where they actually need to visualize the conceptualization of the cosmologies and the ideas and the strategies they proposed to develop because we worked on the vision, the mission, and the strategies of the organization. And 
perhaps the biggest unleash, unlock element of this entire experience for them, over and above the breakthrough ideas and innovative strategies that they articulated, was that it enabled them to make new connections between individuals that never spoke before because they are in different silos, so to speak, in the organization. We broke all the silos. We created a, a space where every time the algorithm will parachute twos or threes or fours into a room and they needed to, in 20 minutes or 30 minutes, produce a model or an answer. And perhaps the greatest unlock element of the experience was how they came through that, that journey to see each other differently and therefore to see themselves differently. And therefore, they got to experience a whole new sense of hope, conviction, belief, encouragement about what they may be able to do as an organization. And that's part of what I am sensing in our conversation today. I am beginning to sense that each one of us, each human being, you are a walking, unrealized potential. And when you interact with a person in a conversation, that person triggers or opens up for you part of your potential. But then a minute later, you're in a, with a different person in a different configuration and something new about what you know, but you don't know that you know because it's latent in you and it was never called into the manifest realm or the weaving, integrating realm is now being called out. And Theodora spoke once or twice in this conversation, and Kiriaki too, about this tormented time we are living now through, and, and how can humans come through, how can humanity come through these challenging times to unlock better, safer future where the people in, in Robin's street can walk safely. And not only can walk safely, they can walk by Robin's house and perhaps get an, an inspired idea about who they can be tomorrow. Well, I think today we are just sensing for a bit of that in encouraging in each other and with the people we get to work with and live with, that sense that the human is a never-ending, unrealized potential of new permutations, connections, possibilities. And if a bit of that conversation is rubbing off on you and you are inspired to discover that, please do, please share with us here at uh, Portals of Perception, your thoughts and your inquiries and inspirations. We want to expand the conversation as all of us are in the inquiry of what does it mean to become human at these, through these times of change. And the, the experience of today's conversation is that part of becoming human is sensing into our unrealized potential to connect and weave part to part and discover new greater halls as we do so. Thank you so very much. Thank you for listening to Portals of Perception. If you're enjoying these dialogues, we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com slash portals. Visit portalsofperception.org for exclusive content. Please share this episode with a friend and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.